stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to the Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist and the editor of the large cap trader, John Blank, to talk about everything that's going on in the economy right now. There's a lot swirling. Uh, We've got the trade wars. We have the tariff thing that's kind of mixed in with the trade wars. And now there's a lot of talk I've seen recently, at least on my Twitter feed, about recessions, people worried about recession again. It can never be good, right, John? It has to be like, oh, no, the doom is coming. We can't enjoy having record earnings, apparently. Um, So we'll get to that. And we're also going to talk about where you might want to invest right now with what these uh, economic conditions are like. So, John, let's talk about the trade first. Um, Trade war, tariffs, trade deficit, all of these things are kind of swirling out there. What? Let's start with trade deficits, because I feel like this, it gets messed up by most people. Like having a trade deficit isn't necessarily a bad thing, is it? Well, here's the thing um, about trade deficits uh, in the U.S. context over the last 30 years. Uh, Our politics, right or left, uh, and the bias actually is towards the right, which is two to one, by the way, in this matter, is that both parties, but two to one, meaning the Republicans double down on this more than Democrats, um, put deficits out because they want to win elections. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean is you want to pay your base out, pay them with tax cuts, pay them with spending packages. doesn't matter what it is. You want to pay, pay to win, pay to win. So without a balanced budget amendment, both sides play this game. Right. Right. Pay to win and then force the other guy to look like you're Santa Claus. The other guy is taking things away. Right. This has been a tactic that has drove the deficit up and then and the debt up with deficits. So what happens, it's all about what people call the growth rate. We're trying to get the growth rate up. Now, the problem here is growth is a long-term phenomenon that has to do with capital deepening, labor force growth, and productivity gains. And this is about stimulating the demand-supply balance of an existing economy, right? So the problem is, particularly now, when you have 4% unemployment in the United States context, you have fully employed the existing labor force. You have fully employed the capital stock. You're at a capacity utilization of 78, basically fully employed. And your productivity gains are, are, are locked in at 1% for sure anyways. So it, it's not delivering anything. What it is delivering is the need to find the production that for the overspending that your government's doing in a macroeconomic sense. So what happens is, you have to import. And if you think about who you're going to import from more, you're going to import for the lower cost people. So it aggregates into either China trade deficits or the other half is Hong Kong trade deficits because of their role as an entrepot, which is a word meaning they get all these components and they assemble them and then ship them on from Hong Kong, from across Asia, or and probably mostly from China and Guangdong. But the bottom line is we create the trade deficit from the fiscal deficit. So you increase the fiscal deficit, you increase the trade deficit. End of story. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There is no way 
no way, and I'm using that word correctly and strongly enough, there is no way this goes away until we balance the federal budget, and that will for sure bring the non-petroleum trade balance down for sure. Well, that's a lot to take in there. <laughs> that's right. good because that's what I feel like isn't being discussed out there. Right. They act like, oh, we can just, you know, lower the trade deficit with the Chinese by $50 billion or $100 billion, but obviously that's going to impact here at home in other dramatic ways. Right. What they're proposing to do that I approve of is take a look longer term at intellectual property protections, which is getting to this productivity gain element, right? Which yeah. is intellectual property drives productivity gains long term. We want to preserve and protect that for the United States. In that sense, in the growth sense, in the proper growth sense, this I agree with, right? Okay. So the point is, I agree with the intent, but the sales job on the deficit is total garbage. Okay. Right? So where does that leave us in terms of these negotiations over the trade? Because right now that's all we're in. We're not actually in the trade war yet. Right. Well, so here we are in the trade 60-day period. Yeah. So this is early April. So April and May to early June is when this negotiation has uh, time to elapse and happen. Early June... Uh, should not be uh, misunderstood in, in two contexts, which is the Mueller investigation and the Manafort trials happen in July unless they get moved. And certainly, regardless, the midterms and the, the again, if you're thinking about winning elections and this is what you do, whether, whether right or left, right, you know, wrongly or rightly, uh, that begins to hit them too. So the Chinese know this. And they know that if they push their, put their, opponent to the wall, the stock market will go down. And if they give concessions like we saw today when we're talking here on Wednesday or Tuesday, April the 10th, is that they will go up. So the problem here is that they can get a soft deal out and put it out there for a president in need of one who will sell it as a positive thing going forward. And we really won't deal with fundamentally long-term structural change we need from an extensive negotiation. So the problem here is how do we as as electorate, as, as investors, how do we think of this and get this right in our thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I It's going to be incredibly hard, I think. Okay. Yeah. Should investors kind of just take a wait and see over the 60-day period then? Yeah, I mean, I was doing the GDP growth on a quarterly basis a week or so ago, and I had a hard time putting anything – and a three handle on, you know, 3% growth yeah. in the U.S. quarterly basis unless it's the third quarter. Third quarter, really? you think, well, you think about it, how can't I give a three handle before the election, right? Right, right. But then how do I get a three handle in the second quarter when I have to negotiate? So the problem yeah. here is it defeats, you're actually going to probably see a lower growth rate because people are holding back, restraining themselves from CapEx, holding back from to see what this thing, or just ba basically distracted by the negotiations and the stock market flopping around yeah. from doing anything. So very hard through June to think anything goes but sideways. And then what happens is all this growth and all these earnings gains, which we know about, are getting lower valuations. So there's going to be this ability to try to get in front of this, right? And, and But how do you game that is probably probably that it just keeps going up and down and we just say that that tuner day 
level, which is like the low risk level. But as we're growing, that that's what the market likes right now. Okay. Now let's turn some talk over to the recession side. Because like I said, I keep seeing these doom and gloom um, tweets that are out there about the big crashes coming. Then we had, you know, we went below the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500 recently, and everyone's like, oh, it's over, we're doomed. And then the Dow theory, if you believe in that, is signaling sell now too, apparently. That's the industrials and the transports um, combined over there. And I don't know, I just keep seeing, you know, people want to believe in the bear side, even though we have record earnings right now. And that's always, you know, you always get the good before the bad, the calm before the storm. So could understand why they'd be looking at that. But um, I was showing you earlier today here in Zach's offices, a couple of uh, charts that were made by these are the Fred charts down at the St. Louis um, Federal Reserve, they put out these good charts about the economy. And one of them is the passenger car registrations for the United States. Now, some of the bearish people on Twitter were sending this around because it shows that when those registrations go into the negative, you they're kind of a um, signal that a recession may be coming because the last eight times they've gone into the negative, you had a recession within, you know, I, I don't know how long a time period some of these are, but almost immediately after or, you know, within six months to a year after these go into the negative. And then they're, they have a big red circle around the one now because they are in the negative. It looks like I don't really see the year here, but they went into the negative several years ago now in the latest data. And you and I were talking about this because a lot of the other um, negative readings, it, it like spikes down right before the recession, like dramatically spikes down. But this latest reading into the negative is kind of just like a slow fall over several years under down, which looks different than all of these others. And it goes back into the 1960s here in the chart. So what do you make of, you know, people looking at like a chart like this about the passenger car registrations and saying like, oh, you know, the, re the recession must be coming because look at all these other ones that spiked into the negative. Well, Tracy, first of all, you know, I think there's a generational demographic element here because if you look at um, truck registrations, they're pretty flat, right? Right. Trucks are the SUVs and there's older person, 40 grand, 35 to 40 granders. Passenger cars are typically your, you know, in the, in the start, they're the starter home, the, the starter cars, right? So what you have to think is happening here is this is the beginnings of a generation that has decided not to buy a car. Okay. This is the Uber generation. I was generation. wondering, yeah, if this was Uber, Lyft, or right. what right. what this was showing. Because the smooth generational takedown. Some yeah. This tells us that, no, this isn't cyclical. This isn't this spikiness. That's cyclicality, right. some type of current thing. But this is what's yeah. called secular, which is there's a fundamental change in the way people are buying and selling passenger cars, not trucks. And that has to be that younger people are saying, you know what? I could buy a hybrid for 30 grand. I could buy a Camry or a Corolla, or I can give my daughter or son one, but they just don't want one. They don't want to have, they don't have a parking spot. They don't want to put the gas money in. They don't want to buy the insurance. They don't yeah. want the car payment. Yeah. Right. And I think that is probably what's happening here um, is that this is the beginnings of a, longer term transformation of our 
transportation needs on a daily basis. Okay. Right? Yeah. Getting around town basis. Well, I haven't had a car in two years, so I'm I'm part of this chart, actually. Yeah, there you go. It's so it's, down. you know what has yeah. happening because you're doing it yourself. Yeah. You move downtown. Yeah. You I said don't to need yourself, one. why don't I need one? Yeah. I'll take the taxi, water taxi, or walk to work, yeah. or take the train, save the money. Right. Uh, save the repair, save everything. And this yeah. is probably what's happening because it's a passenger car, right? which is a younger, cheaper thing. And so the, the logic that you're is that, again, we're seeing in our politics generational differences in the way that things are going handling. And the info, the post-2000 group of people born in the digital age with with, with higher gas prices has a totally different look, look at this than older people. Will the Fed um, have to start monitoring other data, like, you know, number of Uber and Lyft rides or something? Somehow they get the data from, from those companies to, to monitor, like, when those Uber and Lyft Rides decline. That means bad. Something bad is coming in the economy. I don't know. I'm just saying, like maybe they might that's, that's have to. It's a good to. idea. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly a relevant idea. I yeah. mean, that's that's the right idea here. Is that do you have the right signal? Yeah. In in a, in this economy, right? And that that's that's a good point, Tracy. Um, let's talk about those lightweight trucks because uh, they put out that chart too, and the last couple of recessions that that goes into the negative as well. Now, a lot of people use the lightweight trucks to mean like the construction workers right. and things like that. That's like the F-150, which is really hot sales right now. And it kind of tells you what's happening with small businesses, because when you feel good in your small business, you're going to go out and buy one of these new trucks. But we haven't seen since uh, about 2010, they have not gone into the negative at all, according to this chart. So... Um, but I don't know if, if, how good these signals really are either, because when you look at the signal going into the Great Recession, um, yeah, it fell off a cliff during the Great Recession, obviously, but it went into the red several times after 2005. So you would have been you would have been on the sidelines a couple of years then if you were watching this chart and saying recession it's coming. I don't know. I don't know if this. I think you you really have to take these signals in combination, as you were just saying, with other other things. Well, bottom line, I've said before, um, you have to take none of these signals in hand because there is what's called a summary statistic. Okay. The, the statistics of statistics, which is the non-farm payroll. Okay. Non-farm payroll. Yeah, you've talked about this in the past. And I've said this before, and I've said this for seven years, and I'll say this again so that I, more people hear it, not because I want to hear <laughs> right. myself say it. The final revised numbers, not the one that comes out on the CNBC screen you know, morning shows yeah. and Fox or whatever, don't, you don't need to be on top of this. My point is don't, don't get on top of the latest number. Go to the employment situation summary, scroll to the bottom and get the revised numbers for the last three months, final revised numbers. Now, why do I want to do that? Because I want the signal to be not a statistical signal. I want it to be a macroeconomic one, meaning it's right. Right. It's not just data moving around. Yeah. You cannot get that unless it's final and revised, right? And you don't really care if you're a recession-worry guy. You, you're not timing. You're going to miss the top. Right. You will lose 10% with this idea. Okay. I am not telling you how to time. <laughs> if you just want to get out of the way, which is all you should care about, and get yeah. it right without getting it wrong five times and missing out, this yeah. is what I'm talking about. So final revised non-farm payroll. If it goes negative for two consecutive months, that is when 
any news you are reading about recession should start to matter, right? Yes. If you go to the golf course and the guy you're golfing with doesn't say, hey, payrolls are negative to two quarters, two, two months, you should tell him if he thinks it's a joke, you should not hear anything he says, period. <laughs> okay. Right? Just put the summary statistic idea in your head. Go and learn how to get this once a month or even less. Until you see it, then you should realize whatever's headwind or tailwind, whatever discussion people are having has now amounted to something rolling up and rolling forward, and that's what I'm talking about. And you can look at yourself over the history of non-farm payrolls. Final revised non-farm payroll that went negative twice almost never gets wrong. Okay. That's a good good signal to look at then. Summary statistic. Right? Okay. Because yeah. the problem is there's 50,000 podcasts and people and talks, and we're all trying to put something out and come up with some new idea. Right. Again, like I'm saying, no, don't call me and say I missed the top. I'm not. Yes. Right. Right. You, you, by the way, someone will call the top earlier and get out sooner. Yeah. But you don't want to be wrong three times and get it right the fourth. Right. And this is the problem. So getting it right close to 100% and getting out. So they miss the 40% down and having this, if you're a retired person or whatever, and you're getting into place where you're smart, earning as much return without the risk, this is the idea that I like. Okay. We've had 90 consecutive months in a row of job growth. That's an all-time record. So when we do finally get the one that's in the negative, which we did have during the hurricanes, but it was revised higher. So then that was the fake one, right. basically. But then this they is the revised thing. it higher. But when we do get a real one of those, should I, I mean, two of them. Won't, two I know you said two, said two, two but row. won't people be like, this is it uh, on the they, first sure, one? Sure. Won't they be again, like, I'm again, driving what I'm, out. What I'm telling you is that you're trying to time it. <laughs> but you need to. You're trying okay. to be greedy, not right. Yes, I am. <laughs> right. You are trying to yeah. be greedy and not right. Okay. I'm trying to be right. Okay. Right in saying, yes. I simply know I will be five or 10% off the highs. And by the way, when we're going to get back in is the same conversation. We're only going to get back in on two plus hundred days in a row, final revised. Again, that will certainly be late, right? but it will certainly be right. And all you do is you did that, missed the 10% down, got in 10% late. By the way, you'd sit in cash and have a great two and a half years or however long this thing goes on, listen to a lot of news without worrying about it, and then get back in and run it up again. Right. Big idea, good idea, or dumb idea? Well, it's a it's a plan, and people do want a plan for when when yeah. there's a recession and what to do. Right. So. Well, the th- the thing I don't like, I think, is wrong. Is there is people say stay with the market all the time, you know, all this sort of thing. And I think this very restricted final revised thing is a way of avoiding like we saw in 08 where you're just hammered for three, four years and you really should have gotten out and gotten back in. On, on, right. But again, you got to be almost like a machine. You got to say, right. this is the thing. Not emotional. Bung, done. Yeah. I'm out and back in again on the same matter. Okay. Well, that's definitely, I like having plans. I talked with Kevin Cook about having a plan about that's how he controls his emotions. So this is a good plan, I feel, for people who are worried about recessions, which I said I'm seeing all the time on Twitter now. People are, you know, because we've gone so long without one now, they know one has to come eventually, obviously. And so everybody's kind of, you know, knows what that might mean for stocks, too, that we could see a big sell-off. So 
All right. So we'll keep this in mind. Um, and let's talk now about where we should invest with these market conditions. So you and I kind of talked about this before we came on and you had a couple choices. I have a couple choices too. And it looks like we kind of like the big caps, it sounds like. Um, so let's talk about the one you told me you really like right now that you're recommending, with, which is GlaxoSmithKline. The ticker is GSK. That's Big Pharma. That's British. Are you concerned at all about Brexit with them or they're too global to really have Brexit be any kind of concern? Well, I just like it because they are British and the, and the UK stock markets are at evaluations that are good. Okay. And you're getting a 6.5% gain. But what I like GSK is they made a deal with their Novartis for a piece of their a business they already own. Okay. Third of them, they're going to get the rest of it. So there's a report in a couple of weeks and it's almost certain they're going to do well. Okay. So here's the stock. Again, one of the problems we have with this volatility is that you can always make 10, 12% on a GSK because half of it's a dividend this year. Yeah. I was just going to say the dividend yield right now is at 6.3. I was surprised. I looked at that. And I'm like, what? Something, is this right? That's I guess it. it is. This is it. This is why I like this stock. You, you can think, again, why do I like this? Because if you're not greedy and you just want 12% in a year that goes nowhere. Yeah. That's brilliant. And you're, <laughs> yes. you're going to outperform. You get rich. Look, we're outperforming. <laughs> we're outperforming in the large cap trader, partly because we own GSK and stuff that goes up during this type of period. Okay. Yeah. It goes up 10%. That's, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not killing it yeah. like last year, but well, outperformance, if you just say yeah. beating a, a down market or a sideways market, yeah. we'll buying stuff like this. Um, interestingly, I just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about a British investor who um, bought and held for like 50 years. He died in his 90s and they went in there and I guess they have to publish the will or like whatever that is over there. And they discovered he owned these stocks super long. And one of them, it, he was a millionaire. He was worth like eight million pounds or something by the time he died. And he was just a school teacher. And one of them was Glaxo Smithkline. Yeah, yeah, he owned a lot of these bigger caps with those dividends. That's it. Yeah, all those years. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to, uh, I mean, it, oftentimes everybody loves, particularly now, you know, we have the FANG stocks, the Momentum stocks, the Infotech stocks, but. You Bottom line, this type of stock, man, Yeah, money in the bank, literally money in the bank. Yeah. Another one that I I like now because I talked about it in that podcast that I want to mention is Diageo, which is ticker D-E-O, also British, but they're the big spirits manufacturer, kind of the same kind of thing. Like that's not really going to go out of style. They make uh, Smirnoff, Johnny Walker, Bailey's, Guinness. They don't pay quite as good a dividend, but it's still 2.4%. That's not too shabby. They're a little more pricey. Um, Glaxo has a P of 13.7, and um, Diageo is just at 21.5. But you get a little bit little bit bigger growth, 18% there um, for this fiscal year. But yeah, like I don't know what it is about the British company. Suddenly I'm like, wait, I'm interested. Something's going on over there. Um, maybe this whole Brexit thing is creating some buying opportunities. That's it. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Micron. You and I both mentioned that one. It's in my value investor portfolio. I've mentioned it many times on various podcasts because it's PE now. I have to check every day because I never know quite where it's at. But today it was at 4.37 times. It's almost They're almost giving it away for free right now. That's but, it. But people are nervous, John, about the future. They're worried about next fiscal year, which starts the summer for them, and they think it won't be able to keep up with this earnings growth. So 
they're willing to throw it out with the bathwater. The baby's being thrown out. Yeah, this is a good example where Zach's ranking is truly valuable because there's 23 covering analysts yeah. on the stock. And where that consensus estimate revision is probably the simplest way to deal with the stock. By the way, it's a one. By yeah. the way, shut up and buy the stock or keep it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's what I've been saying for a long time on the Value Investor Do you podcast. work at Zach's, Tracy? I do. <laughs> um, but when you look at those earnings revisions, yeah. And they, they are revising fiscal 2019. It's a little bit below... 2018 for now, but we're still, you know, months away from getting into the, their next fiscal year anyway. So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh, next year's earnings there. And then I also brought a couple other stocks. I brought um, Exxon, ticker XOM. I'm a big fan of big oil in general, and I didn't used to be, but I do feel like Brent and WTI are going to be rising a little bit more aggressively here than what people think. They have a P of just 15. Uh, they do pay quite a high dividend for at least Exxon, which normally hasn't paid that big a dividend, but it's 4.1%. Earnings growth this year, 33%. So you see a little bit turnaround there in the earnings. So if you're looking for a big oil play, Exxon might be one to keep on the list. And then I brought a small cap too, because I just like this area and it's AMN Healthcare. The ticker is AMN and they are just a mid cap. So we got one smaller stock here. They have a $2.8 billion market cap, but they are medical staffing. So they do nurses, they do some doctors groups. This is a real hot area because the baby boomer nurses and doctors are retiring, but as they retire, they might need more medical care. And now we don't have enough nurses or doctors to give the baby boomers the medical care. And we don't have enough people being trained in this. So salaries have gone up. Um, you know, revenue is real good for this kind of staffing company right now. They don't pay any dividend, but earnings growth of 27% this year. And these shares I own in the value investor. And it's just breaking out now to new five-year highs. So I feel like this, John, like these, this kind of staffing company isn't going to be impacted by like a trade war or the tariffs or anything like that. They're just going to have to keep finding nurses and doctors somewhere. I don't know where, but it's going to mean their fees will go up as the, that stays in demand, I think. So, so yeah, there's a couple, couple stocks you might uh, keep in mind if you're looking around for some investing opportunities. Um, let me recap what those are again. So we had Exxon, XOM, Diageo, DEO, Glaxo, Smith Klein, GSK, that's the one with the big dividend yield, Micron, MU, and AMN Healthcare, AM as in Mary, N as in Nancy is the ticker there. Do you have any final passing thoughts for people going into the spring here in the earnings season? No, other than I think, um, you know, stay bullish. Okay. S stay with your long term uh, and realize we're in a very loud uh, amount of political theater. Yeah. Uh, it's theater. So I should write out the volatility. Yeah. Just be aware that the economy is made up of hundreds of millions of people and not the government and not the news sources and that these are different things. Yeah. That's a good point. That's uh, especially as we're going into this earnings season, I feel like the earnings reports will remind us all about like what the fundamentals are like out there. That's it. And they should be good. So That's it. we'll see. Okay. Um, if you want to hear more on 
the Value Investor Podcast, or this, the Zach's Market Edge. You can get both of them on SoundCloud. If you subscribe to the Zach's Market Edge, you'll get both of the of the podcasts over there, or you can get both of them if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the stock recommendations or our just general discussion. And I'll see you again next time.